Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. We've been looking at the book of Revelation for, for a couple of weeks and uh, we've been trying to, to understand and learn uh, what the, the Word of God has for us. And uh, tonight we're going to hopefully continue that. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter tw- uh, 1. About to get ahead of myself and say Revelation chapter 20. That would be the end, close to the end. We're at the beginning. We are going to finish up, hopefully tonight, Lord willing, uh, the the rest of chapter 1. How's that for finishing things? Um, We looked at... Uh, the fact that Christ is worthy last week, uh, last time we studied in the book of Revelation. And tonight we're going to uh, look at, at verses 12 through 20. And uh, my question is to you, um, a lot of times, especially this time of the year at Christmas, when we think about the birth of Christ and everything, we kind of allow... Uh, at least uh, we have allowed in our society the distortion between Jesus and Santa Claus. Um, I'll explain myself a little bit more, but tonight we're going to talk about Christology, about your theology of Christ. And there was a fellow by the name of Sinclair Ferguson. He's a professor at the Reformed Theological Seminary who wrote an article several years ago entitled Santa Christ. Look it up on the internet if you would like to learn more about it. It's called Santa. Christ. Uh, just put in Santa Christ and Sinclair Ferguson. Um, <clears throat> he uh, wrote this article and he said he believes that many people, uh, particularly Christians, have a, a, a distorted view of Christ that is more informed by Santa Claus than by Scripture. For them, he said, the message of the Incarnation has been so twisted or diluted that they have created a a Savior who is nothing more than a Santa Christ. He says there's three particular views of of Jesus Christ that people have adopted and they've kind of merged it with this view of Santa Claus. he said, he said there's a Plagian uh, Jesus who uh, basically, uh, instead of having the message of Jesus Christ, of Him crucified on the cross and there uh, accepting us, uh, giving us the, the gift of salvation and accepting us as who we are, uh, this Plagian Jesus asked uh, basically not if we would uh, renounce our sin and turn our life over to Him, but simply asks us if we've been good enough. Uh, actually, uh, it begins with just simply good, but He said these individuals have this view that it, hey, everybody is basically good, so it's really um, 
He's got his bag of goodies, his uh, sack of presents, and he, he basically wants to know if you've been good enough to receive uh, this uh, his gifts. And then you have the semi-plegian that asks if... Uh, he, it's kind of even more distorted in terms of not that if asking us if we've been good, but he withholds his gifts to us and uh, and comes to us and asks us merely if we have done our best. And you know, you you, you hear this in in a lot of uh, churches that are big time churches on TV and the radio and. Uh, uh, that kind of thing, uh, talking about you know simply doing your best. To, you, you're not expected to do right. You're not expecting to do uh, be righteous, but simply just do your best. Uh, uh, you know you can't be expected to be good all the time. So just do your best is what they preach. Then you've got the mystical Jesus, and uh, basically uh, these individuals don't really know if the story of Jesus is true or not. They, uh, The important thing to them is basically the spirit of Santa Christ. Uh, the spirit, you know, uh, uh, they kind of, they're mixing the, the image of Santa and Christ. You know, he's got the white uh, hair and he's got, uh, he knows if you've been naughty or nice. He's He comes at night and uh, and comes and gives gifts and things like that. And a lot of kids, they come and, and sit on the knee of Santa Claus at the mall. And uh, a lot of people view Jesus as the uh, the Jesus that's sitting there with little kids on his knees and uh, and basically giving them whatever they want. And, and, and there are many worse views of Jesus Christ uh, out there, but... Uh, these are, are basically the summary of, of what a lot of people think of Jesus in, in that. Um, and you might say, well, I, I don't have any of that in my mind, and I don't think any of that. And we just a minute ago had uh, prayer. I had to, uh, had to really chastise myself in the way I pray because really, think about the way we pray. Lord... I really need this. Lord, I really uh, want this in my life. Lord, grant us this. and Lord, give us a good day. Think about the way you pray. I've been thinking a lot about the way I pray. We need to think about the way in which we approach Jesus Christ when we pray. Lord, help this person. Lord, help that person. We think we're not being selfish because we, we're praying for other people, but really what we're saying is, Lord, I know what's best. So you help this person. I, I'm telling you about this person, and you need to go help that person. They're sick, and they need uh, to be healed. What if it's not in God's desire for that person to be healed? Oh, yeah, Jesus is the great physician but what if it's not in the will of God that that person receive a miraculous healing in their life? We don't like to think about that, and it's hard to pray beside the bed of someone who's even dying and say, Lord, Thy will be done. 
But if the extent, if this is only the extent of our prayer of, of basically saying, Lord, give us this and Lord, give us that and Lord, grant us, grant, we even say, Lord, grant us the peace or grant us the grace to accept what you desire. It's all about us. Why are we not praying about Him? We ought, we ought to be, when we come and, and pray before, before God, we're doing the very same thing, basically. That to, uh, think about this: if you if you are not if you're not reading through the Bible this year, I encourage you to do that because you see so much. Um, uh, this is probably the fourth or fifth year I've read. I'm reading through the Bible. Maybe more than that. I've lost count, but. <clears throat> Jesus, uh, God instructed the children of Israel, His people, in how to worship Him at Mount Sinai when they come out of Egypt and He was trying to instruct them in how they should be the people of God. He said, I will take you and, you, and I will be your God and you will be my people and you will worship me and I will, I will be your God. And He told them how to, to, to worship Him. He said there to... Uh, bring a sacrifice to the altar for their sins. First of all, and they were to, to that sacrifice was to be killed at the altar by the priest, and that blood was to be sprinkled on the altar and sprinkled on the individual. The blood was to be put on their right ear and their right toe and their right thumb and. And this was a symbolism of the blood covering their sin. And too often we come to God and we, we, we've got sin all in our life. We ought to first and foremost plead that God would grant us forgiveness of our sins before we even utter another word. And yet we come so many times and defile the, the throne of God they God told them about how they were to be pure to purify themselves before they even came to the altar before they even approached the temple or the synagogue or the uh, uh, the um, the tent of God the tent of meeting with God they were to so often we carry the filth of this world, the filth of our sins to the altar of God. And we demean Jesus Christ with the way that we uh, approach the altar. We demean uh, the presence of God in our life. When we stand there and we presume to tell God what we feel needs to be done. And there are so many people that demean the image of Jesus Christ. They see him as this weak, frail, uh, weakling, and you know this is important because Jesus asked his disciples, "Who do you, who do you say that I am?" He said, "The world saying, uh, you know, they came to Jesus and said, uh, some of some of them say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist." Jesus said, "Well, who do you say that I am?" Well, in Revelation chapter 1, we see who Jesus really is. Let's look at this 
passage of Scripture, and we're going to hopefully see clearly who Jesus is. And it says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, and one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with golden girdle. And his head and his hairs were white like wool, and as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as a sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which thou uh, are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest to my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So this is the passage of Scripture that we're looking at tonight, and, and this is really a look at who Jesus is. And in verse 12 it says, And I turned and saw a voice that spake unto me, and uh, being turned I saw, saw seven golden candlesticks. Uh, these, this is an image that John is seeing of the one who spoke. And the words that were spoken are, uh, were in... Um, Verse 11, and, and uh, it says, And I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book, and send it to unto the seven churches which are in Asia, and unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and Perga, Pergamus, and unto Thyatira, and to Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. So that was Jesus' message. And so John turns and he sees uh, this image. The prelude to that is starts in verse nine, talking about uh, this vision that he sees, and so he sees these golden candlesticks. And what this is is a reference to uh, several different things. First of all, it's the uh, reference to uh, the temple, and. Uh, Throughout Scripture, and especially in Exodus 25 and Exodus 27, uh, there's a reference to uh, the uh, golden candlesticks that were to be in front of the altar of God in the temple. And if you look in uh, Exodus 25 and Exodus 27, you'll see a, a description of how these candlesticks were to look. And um, they were to be uh, these golden candlesticks that were before the altar of God, and they were to be continually lit, and the, uh, the priests were to uh, trim those candlesticks and keep them lit. Uh, as long as the tabernacle was set up and the... the uh, uh, the thr- uh, the uh, the altar of God was there in the tabernacle. These candles were to be lit. It is a uh, it is a 
really a an image of uh, the throne of God. Uh, the temple of God is 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 to be is a kind of an image of the throne of God in heaven. Uh, where and if you look in uh, Revelation chapter four, I believe it is, uh, or chapter five, we have the image of God sitting at the throne and the uh, elders surrounding the throne and the angels around the throne uh, singing, "Holy, holy, holy." That's the throne room of God and. When God described what He wanted for the temple, this uh, altar of God was to be a symbol of the throne of God, and the candlesticks were uh, to be the witnesses around the throne of God, giving uh, reference to God. And we see in Zechariah chapter four. Look, uh, turn over there, if you will. That's the uh, towards the end of uh, the Old Testament. Right after Habakkuk, you have Zechariah chapter 4. This is a prophetic uh, book of the Bible. Uh, It's one of the minor prophets. And it's minor because it's short in length, not because it's not important. It's, it, but it is a prophetic word. In chapter 4, it reads in verse 1, And the angel that talked with me came again and walked me as a man that is uh, walketh uh, out of his sleep. <clears throat> and he said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked and beheld a candlestick uh, all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it, and it's seven lamps therein, and seven pipes uh, to the seven lamps which are upon the lamp thereof, and two olive trees by it, and upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon uh, the left side thereof. So I answered, and I spake unto the angel, and talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angels uh, that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And then he answered and he spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and shalt bring forth the headstone thereof, Uh, with shouts, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the fountain of his house, and his hands shall also uh, be finished it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet uh, in the hands of Zerubbabel with those seven and they are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlesticks and upon the left thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not that these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And he, uh, then he said he, These are the two, two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So, in uh, Zechariah, the angel is, uh, there's a vision that comes to uh, Zechariah 
and he sees these golden lampstands, and these are uh, the angel says these are the eyes of God watching the the people of of the world, uh, per uh, in particular Zerubbabel there, and so these golden lampstands are are a reference of uh, the witnesses of God, and of course in verse twenty it says that the lampstands are the, uh, represent the seven churches. But um, for us at the beginning of this, it is a, um, a reference to Jesus Christ as... Now, I, I mentioned that the golden lampstands are a reference to the temple. And so it says there that uh, he sees the golden lampstands. In the next verse, in verse 12, uh, 13, he says that he saw an image of one standing in the midst of the golden lampstands. So this is Christ that he sees. And it is an image of Jesus Christ as the great high high priest acting as a bridge between God and man. He is the high priest uh, for us. He uh, is the one who... And he's giving a message to the seven churches. And what does he do as as the great high priest? But what a high priest does for the church, he exhorts the church. He tells them how that they need to live a better life. He he uh, uh, corrects and and seeks to point the church in the right direction. He seeks to to uh, he even at times has to rebuke the church uh, when they step out of line and uh, and. Overall, this serves as a warning to the church. And so Jesus Christ is acting as the great high priest. And it's not merely just to a single church who that's in one location, but He's referenced to all the churches. These seven churches of Asia represent uh, all of the churches of God, all the churches. And, and so Jesus here is the great high priest. And, and we many times uh, forget about the the priestly role that Jesus serves in our life and this is important <clears throat> look he's Jesus is not just one who came and and taught some some lessons and had some disciples that followed after him and uh and then uh just you throw away all of his life and we tend to just focus on Jesus and what He did on the cross. And what He did as our Redeemer is very important, but who He is overall, what He's doing overall for us, uh, that being a part of it, is serving as the great high priest. And, and the Bible even calls Him the great high priest and <clears throat> in order that He might reunite uh or be the bridge between humanity and God. Look at verse 13. We see him in his priestly garments. It says, In the midst of the seven candles, one like uh, unto the Son of Man, clothed with garments down to his foot, and girt about his paps with a golden girdle. Uh, These are uh, uh, priestly vestments that he's uh, shown as having. Um... He has a divine appearance of of the golden girdle. And his head and his hairs were white like wool and as white as snow and his eyes were as a flame of fire. 
and his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in brass, uh, burn in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. We see this image of Christ in his priestly vestments, his high priest vestments. Uh, um, turn with me to Hebrews chapter nine for a minute. Verse 11 says, But Christ being come as a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the, uh, the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for all us, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled in the unclean uh, sanctifieth it to purity of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself uh, throughout, uh, without spot to God, purge our con- uh, conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this cause He is the mediator of the New Testament, uh, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the uh, First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And so we see that, that Jesus is the, high priest, uh, the great high priest that does for us what no human high priest ever was able to do. And we see this divine uh, uh, prayer appearance of Jesus Christ. Look at, at this uh, description of, of Jesus. Now, this description should sound very familiar. Um, you, might, you might be saying, well, you know, I don't really recall exactly where it is, but I told you at the very beginning that the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel had a link. And so we're going to see a descri- this description uh, as a... Uh, repeat of what was in the book of Daniel. Turn back to Daniel for just a minute. Daniel chapter uh, 7. Daniel 7 verse uh, 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the Ancient of Days did sit That's what it says here, the Ancient of Days in Revelation. Whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like of pure wool, and his throne was like the fiery flame, and his uh, wheels of burning fire, and a, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, thousands thousand thousands ministered unto him and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him the judgment was set and the books were open and I beheld uh, then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spoke I beheld it even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame and as concerning the rest of the beast they had their dominion taken away yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time and I saw uh, uh, that was all I needed right so 
we see the Jesus described as the Ancient of Days, which is just like what the the vision that Daniel saw in the book of Daniel. This Ancient of Days refers to a divine judge, one who was uh, to give uh, judgment upon uh, those uh, throughout the earth. His his hair is a symbol of uh, the uh, the purity of wisdom and and. Uh, and and a great wisdom that was far exceeds anything that man understands, and we see this in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is more than just simply uh, the sacrifice that was went to the cross for us. He's coming as as the great and divine Judge of God, uh, who will judge the world. Uh, his eyes of flame that that uh, of fire. Uh, these eyes of flame that are uh, uh, coming out in Revelation. We're back in Revelation, by the way. Um, it says that his hair was white as wool and as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Um, anytime you think about a, a, a fire, it's a piercing uh, flame. And you, you read about uh, people that have piercing a piercing gaze. Imagine a gaze that is so piercing it's like a, a flame of fire that pierce it's uh, this is an image of Jesus Christ being able to pierce the soul and look into the soul of man. Many times uh, throughout Jesus' ministry, He knew the heart of man. The Bible even said, uh, shares with us the things that Jesus knew about what was in the heart of men uh, that they uh, didn't express uh, themselves. Uh, then it says that His feet were likened to fine brass as if they were burned in a furnace and His voice as the sound of many waters. This uh, feet like an undefined brass uh, now, when a priest went into the temple or into the tabernacle, the priest went in and didn't have anything on his feet, didn't, ha- uh, didn't have sandals or anything. He had uh, merely went in barefoot. And so this image of Jesus was image of uh, feet as fine brass, uh, shows the purity of his feet, walking in purity before God, uh, uh, the altar of God, and uh, but it it mentions that it's a fine brass like an uh, uh, that has uh, let's see uh, fine brass burned in a furnace. Whenever you put metal in a furnace, it usually uh, causes that metal to grow stronger and harder, and this is an image of of Jesus trampling the his enemies under his feet, and so his judgments and his wisdom, his uh, 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 of their actions are pure and righteous, uh, but they are crushing unto those who are uh, still living in evil, still living in. And sin still living in unrighteousness, and so we have this uh, pure image of of Jesus Christ as the uh, uh, the great high priest, and it says that he has a voice of running waters. This is mentioned several times in the Bible uh, when it, it speaks of the voice of God. Ezekiel forty three two and Daniel ten six they uh, both mention uh, hearing uh, his voices of many waters. 
and and this if you've ever I've never been to uh, a, a like uh, Niagara Falls but I have been uh, when I lived in West Virginia I was able to go to uh, some places where they had waterfalls and if you've ever been even around a small waterfall the sound of rushing waters at that waterfall it's just it, it's everything you hear. You don't hear anything else. Now imagine uh, what rushing water is even greater than Niagara Falls and these huge falls. Uh, and this is the image that that many of those who try and and speak of the voice of God as saying it sounds like. And I'm sure what it is is it's just a lack of ability to describe. Uh, this overwhelming sense of the voice of God filling their hearts and their minds. Uh, and it says in verse 16 that, it, uh, that He also has in His right hand seven stars. Uh, and as I said before, this, this image of Jesus is explained of Him uh, standing there with seven stars and out of His mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Um, <clears throat> the seven uh, stars... Uh, it says in verse 20, if you go down there, it says, And the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the golden uh, candlesticks. It says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, there's a lot of debate as to what this refers to, if it refers to actually heavenly beings or if these churches had... Uh, you know, there's some that want to talk about uh, the church is having a guardian angel and that kind of thing. I don't need an angel to watch over me. I've got God the Father watching over me. I don't need the angel is a servant of God, capable of doing uh, carrying out whatever God's desire is. But God has said, Jesus said, "I'll walk with you wherever you go." I don't need an angel. I got Jesus beside me. I've got God with me. I don't need an angel to protect me when God's there for me. Um, but I really feel like this is this word, uh, a, a, the word we get angel in English is, uh, is a word that is angelo in uh, Greek. And it is a word that was used for angel, but it was also a word that was meant to say uh, the messenger. So I, I feel like it, the, what it's saying here is, and I'm not, I'm not trying to change what it's saying in the Bible. I'm just trying to help you to understand it a little better. And I, to me, I believe that this, the angel of the seven churches refers to uh, those who are the messengers of God in the church in reference to the person who is professing uh, the message of God. And, and uh, so... Uh, you take it for whatever you uh, feel. If you want to uh, say it's an angel, angel, a heavenly being, or the messenger of God, um, but so often we get wrapped up in uh, what this is and what that is, we fail to realize what we're being shown. The seven stars were where. Let's forget about what the seven stars are, whether they're angels or messengers of God, whatever they might be. Uh, where are the se seven stars? In the right hand of Jesus, right, right. So what does that 
signify that Jesus has control of of these individuals that uh, they're the messengers of of God and they are in his hand he's guiding them he Jesus is directing them he has authority and power over them and so what we need to understand is, is that uh, these messengers uh, that it, this is speaking more about Jesus not about the messengers Jesus has authority over the ones that are speaking His words. He has authority to direct, direct and guide these churches. It says, And out of His mouth the two-edged sword came. Um, we, And again, this, is, this isn't saying that Jesus opens His mouth and a, and a lightning bolt comes out or out of His uh, mouth come uh, death rays or anything like that. But we have to remember who He is. The Bible says in John 1, one, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and all things were created by Him. There was nothing made that was not made without Him. So what we're seeing here is, is a reference to who, that, that His divinity. That Jesus Christ is the one reminding them that he, this is the one who spoke into existence, all of creation. He's the one who's going into battle. He's going into battle against the Antichrist and the, and the beast and all those who oppose Him. And He's not going to raise a hand. All He's going to do is He's going to speak. He'll be able to defeat them with his, merely His words. He'll do battle and condemn those who are against Him with simply opening His mouth and speaking the words. He will speak the wrath of God upon them. And it says that uh, not only out of his mouth comes a two-edged sword, but he has his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when we think about uh, this, we need to think about uh, go back into Exodus when uh, Moses is going up to the mountain. And he's going up and spending time with God. And he comes down from the mountain and he speaks to the children of Israel after being with God all day long. And they say, look, the countenance of God is too great on your face. We can't take it. We can't even take it. And uh, this is just a mere reflection of, of the of the the brightness of God. And here Jesus is... Uh, described as having the brightness of God upon him. The countenance of the sun is the image of Christ. This is a divine... And and throughout history, we see uh, those who are uh, conquering warriors as images with a great countenance upon them. Many times they'll be portrayed with a... A halo or a great countenance of light coming off them. This is an image of Jesus Christ as that of a divine warrior image, one who is coming in great power and might, the authority of God. Uh, who, he is God. And so we need to take away the image of Jesus Christ as uh, this weakling who is a, nothing more than a wet noodle. Jesus is not a cream puff. He is divine warrior. He is the uh, the one coming with the wrath of God to declare the wrath of God upon those who are uh, against Him. And lastly, we see Jesus as uh, a prophet, the divine prophet. Uh, 
in verse 17, he comes to uh, John, and John falls over as if dead. I think if I saw the image of Jesus Christ, I think, and I think all of us, when we first see Jesus, that's what we're going to do. We're going to fall before Him. We'll fall and bury our face because we won't feel worthy to even look upon His face. And here this is what John does. He falls as if he's dead. And, and we see uh, Jesus with great uh, grace. He extends His right hand upon John. He li- I think He's lifting His head up, His face to look at Him, and He says, Fear not. I am the first and the last. Now, this is a description that is used of Jesus over and over and over again. I'm the first and last, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus says, look, you have nothing to fear. He says, I am He that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of the death. Write these things which thou seest, and the things which thou uh, which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And, the myst- and he tells about the mystery of the seven stars. I think John has this encounter, and he 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 faints before Jesus. And so often we uh, see the this pattern repeated over and over again, where. Uh, Jesus has to say, don't, don't be afraid. He has to pick up whoever He stands before. And He says, don't be afraid. He's coming as, uh, to help us to know who God is. To help us to know God for ourselves. He's the incarnation. He is the God in human flesh. And He's telling us, fear not. Above all else, we need to remember as we read throughout this book of Revelation, the words of Jesus, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So many people are afraid to study the book of Revelation. And He says, look, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. He says, I was there at the beginning. I'm here at the end. He says, I know Everything that's in between, he says, I'm aware, I know all things. He says, above all else, he says, I'm the living. I am he that liveth. And he was dead. He says, look, I have the keys of death and the grave. I've overcome death and I've come. And he says that he determines who's dead and who will live he says uh, keys always represent authority if you got keys you got a key to your house you can always get into the house right that means you are the owner you have the authority to enter those premises you get keys to an office building when you get a job that means you have authority to be in that building you get have authority to enter in you have the right to be there. Jesus says, I have the keys. 
And several times throughout Revelation, we'll uh, see uh, keys referenced. Uh, there'll be an angel that that uh, that comes to earth and opens uh, the entrance to the great pit, the great uh, the pit in which. Uh, Satan and those who follow him and the Antichrist will be thrown in last judgment. Where does he get that key from? He gets it from Jesus. Jesus has the authority. He says, I have the keys. He says, I have died and behold. I've, he says, I have overcome death. This message that Jesus is giving John to give to the churches at this time the message He's giving to us is the message of hope, of great hope. Not a fear of what's coming, because with Jesus we have hope. The hope that to know that He is authority over all things and that we're not going to have to face this. That He is authority over death and the grave, and He's given us life, and He's given us uh, life eternal. So tonight I want to ask you in closing... <clears throat> What do you? Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? Is He the weak, mealy-mouthed Jesus that has no authority and no power, can't do anything? Is He the Santa Jesus that uh, we referenced before that's just merely there to give you uh, things out of His bag when you pray and and... You go to Him when things aren't working good in your life, and but every other time you, you're okay with that. You know, that's the thing. People don't count on Santa all year long. And when people have a view of Jesus as Santa Jesus, they, they see Him as just to be around when things are bad. When you or your mama or your, your uh, husband or wife are about to pass away, got some big illness or or been in an accident you go running to Jesus oh Jesus help me out now you're in the midst of a car crash Jesus take the wheel where was Jesus before you got in the car where was Jesus in your life that morning when you got up where was Jesus throughout the rest of your life is Jesus just simply to be there when things are bad or is He the Lord of your life? Is He in charge of things? Is He uh, the great high priest that unites you and God the Father through His sacrifice on the cross? The high priest was the one who granted, uh, who performed the sacrifice so that you could have forgiveness. Is Jesus just merely a high priest to you that just uh, brings salvation and gets you out of the uh, get out of not a get out of jail card, but a get out of hell card? Or is He the Lord of your life, the great Redeemer? Is He the one who has the power and authority over your life? Who is God to you? How do you? And if He is the Lord of all in your life. Then how are you acting towards Him? As a Christian, maybe you need to reconsider how you pray and how you live each day with Jesus in your presence. 
Are you in His presence? You know, uh, no matter how you feel about Him, if we were told that the president was coming through here, all we'd all want to go and gussy up, no matter how you felt about him, whoever the president might be at the time, you'd show great respect. At least I'd hope you would. Whether it's Obama or Trump or George W. Bush or Bill Clinton or whoever, we have, a th- we have respect for the office, even if the man doesn't deserve the respect. We show that respect because he represents the nation. So we'd get all dressed up, we'd be on our best behavior, and we'd sit up straight, and we'd be sure not to be uh, uh, picking our teeth while he came in and, and to come in and talk to us. And that's just the president. We take the presence of Jesus Christ with us each day if He's the Lord of our life. If you've asked Him into your heart, you have the presence of Jesus Christ in you. The Holy Spirit. Where do you take Jesus each day? What do you do with Jesus each day? What's He telling you you need to do that you're not doing? These are questions I have to ask myself. They ought to be guiding us in how we live. We need to have a better view of who Christ is. We need to have greater respect for what He's done. We need to start having greater respect for Him and His house, His people, the people He died on the cross to save. So who is Jesus to you? Let's pray.